week of February 5th, 2023, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 606, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And receiving a technical foul in Birmingham, Alabama, I'm Michael Giltz. Why are you receiving a technical? Does this have anything to do with Kyrie Irving being traded to the Dallas Mavericks (laughs) from the Nets because he was like, I want to trade. I didn't know you could do that. If that's the case, I want to trade. I want to I want to be traded to this American life. (laughs) It was more about the death of Billy Packer, uh, a great NBA announcer. I called him Bobby Packer, who is a fine guitarist. But guitarist Bobby Packer was never an NBA announcer and did not die last week. It was Billy Packer who died. My apologies, my apologies, I should say, to Bobby, who probably didn't mind because he died back in 2013. And Billy's sons, Brant and Mark, also work in the media and probably never made a dumb mistake like that. <laughs> well, you know. Maybe they did. Everybody makes a mistake. But uh, apologies for getting the name wrong. I, I read Billy Packer and I wrote down Bobby. And never having listened to a Final Four game ever in my life, I've never heard of him. <laughs> Neither probably had most of our listeners to well, be honest. No, he's he's been around for he was around for thirty years doing the Final Four and March Madness. So that covers a lot of people. I bet there's overlap between movies and basketball, and I bet there's overlap between music and our podcast because we got an exciting show this week. That's right. This week on Showbiz Sandbox, it's a Grammys after party. Woo-hoo! Who won the big award? That's right. Who won it? And more importantly, by the way, who gave the best performances? Because let's face it, it's all about the performances and they hand out like maybe one or two or maybe three tops four awards. Mm -hmm. On Inside Baseball, we'll talk some more about music, actually. Michael released a list of his favorite albums of 2022. I know that that sounds late, but as he does every year around Grammy time, he, he listens to literally every album. Like, name an album, he's listened to it. Uh, we'll also be joined by our friend Sal Nunziato of the Burning Wood Music Blog. Sal's top 11 list shares a record seven albums in common with Michael's list, and they both agree on who delivered the best album of the year. It was UPS. You see, they, they do it in a brown truck. That's how they deliver. Keep, oh, keep going, like, keep going, keep going. Okay. Uh, Plus, Sal's blog, by the way, is a great example of why more and more people are listening to classic albums rather than just, you know, the newest act hyped to the high heavens. Translation, more people are listening to older acts than they are to, I don't know, Taylor Swift. And by the way, to wrap it up, Sal and Michael will give a thumbs up or thumbs down on this year's nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Once again, we were overlooked. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Gills to fill us in on last week's box office, where Avatar in the U.S. is number three. Of all time. Oh. Is that what you mean? And of the week. Oh, Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, we're looking at box office around the world. We link to ComScore in our show notes and pull info from all sorts of places. And for the week ending February 5th, there's still a lot of activity in China where they just celebrated the Lunar New Year. It's the year of the rabbit, I believe. And a lot of big Chinese films are still scoring a lot of bucks. The number one film around the world is Full River Red, a Chinese period mystery comedy directed by Zhang Yimou. It's been picked up for uh, a lot of other markets in the world, and it grossed $121 million last week. It's at $587 million and counting. At number two is The Wandering Earth 2, a prequel to the big sci-fi hit, 
That grossed $119 million. So they're neck and neck this week, but that's made about $502 million worldwide. So Wandering Earth 2 was ahead on opening week, then Full River Red pulled pulled way ahead of it in the second week now uh you know they're both pulling in good money right now so it's a back and forth very exciting but they've both made over half a billion dollars number three i believe is a new french film asterix and obelix the middle kingdom uh that 70 million dollar film opened on wednesday february 1st which is also my mom's birthday happy birthday mom she turned 94 last week and Asterix and Obelix open strongly. Uh, it's the eighth live-action film in that franchise, but we have no info on it. It's not on the comp score list. And we're recording Sunday afternoon because Sperling is traveling Monday, and we wanted to cover the Grammys, so we were covering most of the show now. Then we watch the Grammys. Then we'll fill in the Grammys, and then we'll get on with our lives. That's about right, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know. Did you need me to fill in? Sperling, yes, Sperling you're correct. Took a, Sperling took a coffee break. At number four around the world, <laughs> I think, is Avatar The Way of Water. That made $57 million. It's at $2 billion, $174 million. Then there's Patan, the Indian film, which is proving a big hit. $52 million this week. It's at $118 million worldwide. And they're already talking about the Patan spy universe. I'm rolling my eyes. Oh, for God's sakes. If you want to make a sequel, fine. But it doesn't have to be a universe. Not everything is a universe. Sometimes it's just a sequel. Like Boonie Bear's Guardian Code, that's the ninth in the Chinese animated film series. That made another $49 million. That's at $185 million worldwide. Another big animated hit is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. $35 million this week. It's really getting good word of mouth. If you haven't seen it yet, you'll definitely want to check it out online. It's at $370 million worldwide. And the K-pop idols BTS, they put out a new concert film just as they head off into the sunset, or I should say military duty. That thing, that event, concert or whatever it is, that documentary concert, $28 million worldwide. Then here back That's in North- huge. Yeah. That is just huge. Yeah, yeah. We take it for granted, don't we? Yeah, that's a yeah. lot of money for a concert film. If you, uh, 20 years ago, if you scored $2 million for a concert film, you'd be on the list of the 100 top grossing concert films of all time. But now they're really raking them in. And M. Night Shyamalan is raking it in with a little knock at the door. It's Knock at the Cabin, his latest horror flick with a twist, I'm guessing. And that grossed $20 million on its opening week. Back to China is the animated film Deep Sea. That made about $16 million this week. Um, it's at $98 million total. Uh, we were a little, it was lost last week, so really we're finding $16 million. I don't think it made that total this week, but that with given its new total of $98 million, we know that in the last week or two, it's made about $16 million. So it's passing the $100 million mark. We don't know how much it costs to make, but the trailer is quite, quite lovely. Uh, if you've seen Deep Sea or you know what its budget is, tell us. Yes, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address. The num- that is D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. The number to call, you can leave us a voicemail, is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at showbizsandbox, or you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. That's right, and we've got one more animated film. It's the first Slam Dunk. It's a Japanese animated movie set in the world of basketball. It's doing very well in Korea this week and last week. It made, I think it's the fifth week in Korea. It has now reached the number one spot. That's pretty rare for any film 
much less an international film playing in your country. But it grossed about $14 million this week. It's at $93 million worldwide. Boy, it's time for a live-action remake. <laughs> Back in North America is 80 for Brady, a comedy starring Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Rita Moreno, and Sally Field, the four horsemen of the apocalypse when it comes to comedies starring older women and sports. It cost about $20 million to make, and it grossed $13 million on its opening week, and AMC, for one, left those matinee-slash-senior prices in effect all day long. Did that help the movie? We'll only find out if they tell us that there was a lot more evening activity than there normally would be for a movie that appeals to older viewers who might just be more interested in going in the afternoon. And Megan, well, the, okay, uh-huh. so it, uh, yeah, way in. If you get um, the CJ Marquee newsletter, by the way, it just came in my mail, but I don't have time. I didn't have time to read it before the show started. And then, indeed, that is one of the lead stories. Uh, oh. It was uh, it was Cinemark, it was Regal, it was AMC, it was Harkins, all the mid mid tier uh, as well. And it, uh, you know, Paramount Pictures cannot set a ticket price. That's against the law in right. the United States. But what they can do is is when the ticket price drops for say a discount Tuesday, they can kind of say, "All right, we're fine with it. You know, we're not going to push back." Uh, and they didn't push back for this. In fact, they they went to. Uh, theater operators said, we're not telling you what to charge, but we'd like to show you the the box office and the the admissions for Discount Tuesdays for the following films. Ticket to Paradise and uh, A Man Called Otto. That's how, you fill, you notice, that's how you fill out movie seats. Right. And so they're saying, we, we think that the people who, who this particular movie, 80 for Brady, is geared to, they are value shoppers. So therefore, do not price a movie at $25. And um, I would take question with your headline. You say 80 for Brady tackles dynamic pricing experiment. This is not an example of dynamic pricing. Dynamic pricing is where you look at the activity happening online while tickets are being sold. And if there's a lot of activity around a movie, you increase the price. This is about in advance saying, we believe this is a smarter price point for this movie and the audience we're trying to reach. Therefore, we're going to set this ticket price. That's not dynamic pricing. Dynamic pricing is real-time changes in the price while you're watching. You're like trying to buy a plane ticket and suddenly the price doubles. You're like, wait a second. This is, no, this is what the movie charges. It's not going to change. Even if that uh, screening sells out, this is what they're charging. But it's a good experiment. And guess what? Lower ticket prices will bring people in. Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, uh, yes, you're correct about dynamic pricing. In the cinema industry, this is what is considered dynamic pricing, even though the more traditional well, they're, definition they're of it using, is exactly what you just described. They're using the phrase wrong. <laughs> they're lowering ticket prices for certain movies or certain times of the day or certain days of the week. They've always done it, but that ain't dynamic pricing. Back to the box office, Megan the Evil Doll Flick is at $160 million. Tom Hanks is going to drag a man called Odor past the $100 million mark, but I'm not sure he'll get it to $150 million. That would be triple the movie's reported budget. But thank you, Tom Hanks, for making the movie a hit. And Babylon, that was lucky to get to $50 million worldwide. It opened big. I'm saying it opened wide in a lot of Europe last week. It made another $8 million this weekend, just past the $50 million mark. Uh, Assuming it behaves there like it is everywhere else, it's not going to get much farther. And finally, another... Sort of a fun event in North America, just like the BTS movie, just like the discount pricing for 80 for Brady, we have a TV show showing episodes in a movie theater. It's Chosen, the TV series about Jesus. New episodes are in theaters for season three, and I think it grossed about $5 million uh, this week. And that's our worldwide box office. So you're happy to see the 80 for Brady 
um, discount prices or matinee prices all day long. You think that's a good idea in general or does it really depend on the movie? I think it depends on the movie. I think, you know, Avatar, no, don't do that. It's a huge movie. It costs a fortune to put together. No. So you think uh, movie, so you think if you've got the Avengers or a big movie, charge $30, but, well, that's a romantic comedy, so charge for So you like to see different prices based on the budget of the movie? No, I think, I think uh, based on the audience you're trying to attract. How about that? Well, I thought it was more about it's an older audience for 80 for Brady. They tend to go to matinees and early evening screenings. And if you want to encourage them to go later in the day, uh, they're probably a little more price con. You're saying, hey, look, you know, don't let the price be a barrier. If you want to come at six o'clock or seven o'clock, you can. I thought it was more about enticing people who tend to go to movies earlier in the day. And then you've got your screens half empty or three quarters empty in the evening. You know, you're showing Mrs. Harris goes to Paris or Downton Abbey. Chances are you're going to have very strong matinee business and not so strong at the 9 p.m. showtime. I went to see... Uh, women talking a few nights ago at AMC theaters. Uh, there were two other people in the audience when I went at 8.30. That's partially a reflection you of know, the movie I, and the I, day I of think, the week, uh, but, you know. It, it might have also been the uh, exhibitor saying, look, you want us to play this movie, 80 for Brady, all the way through? You want us to play it clean rather than split it and, and play a 7 o'clock or a 9 o'clock film that, that might be, you know, knock at the, knock at the cabin you know, then we, we're going to price it that way. We're going to price it like a matinee because otherwise nobody's going to come and see it. And Paramount, you know, as I mentioned in the, uh, in the marquee newsletter, Chris Aronson, who's the president of domestic distribution at Paramount has Mm -hmm. always said, he thinks ticket prices should come down. Well, you know, historically they're not that high. Uh, the average ticket price is not, is in fact lower than it was back in the eighties and seventies. So ticket prices have not galloped ahead, but if you are going on a Friday night to see an IMAX film in 3D, you are going to be paying a good chunk of money, and you're in a major city especially. Um, but, you know, by and large, you know, I went to see the women talking. It was $12. Yeah, you know, that's not a lot of money, I don't think. But yeah. um, I do know that people like to go to movies all over the world. Uh, AMC, of course, opened some theaters in Saudi Arabia, but now they are cutting ties with the Saudi Arabian cinemas. Why? Because of blowback for political? Uh, no. They're just licensing their name now, and they say it's a cost-cutting measure. Uh, that's all that's going on there. And um, you don't see... Well, any- you know, mm-hmm. th- 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 that b- basically makes official what everybody thought anyway, which is that they were essentially just licensing their name out because they really weren't operating those cinemas. They really weren't managing them per mm-hmm. se. Uh, and they were finally like, you know what? If we just actually make it official, we can get $30 million. Let's do that. <laughs> and a part of the reason that that happened is because they, they uh, cut a deal in 2017. Then they, they had that first screening in 2018, opened that first theater. There was some political events that occurred at the end of 2018 where they basically just stopped working in that country. And other, you know, basically the, the uh, on-the-ground company that was there started building new theaters with their name on it. <laughs> Well, China, people go to movies in China, and we see China needs more big movies. They're sort of softened their stance. They have just uh, greenlit Shazam. The sequel to Shazam will open in China day and date. Uh, So that's good for Hollywood, though. Again, we say, look, just take everything that you can get from China as gravy. Don't focus everything on that because you cannot control your access to the market. You cannot depend on it. So there's no reason to go offending any group of people anywhere in the world. You don't want to make movies that offend, you know, 
the Japanese or the Chinese or the Brazilian. You know, you don't. Your job is not to offend people, but you shouldn't be kowtowing to every little uh, pressure any particular government wants to put on you because their market is not the same as Europe and North America and Central and South America and the burgeoning market in Africa. Uh, it's just not a market you can depend on access to. You know, there were some uh, territories where I spoke with exhibitors and they were like, I cannot believe the, uh, the, the amount that Disney wants to charge us for Avatar The Way of Water. They're like up to 55%. I'm like, wait, what is it normally? They're like, 50%? We would never even take it. I'm like, what the? I'm sure in the US it was like, yeah, 65% all weeks. And then, then they said, what do you pay for your prescriptions? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, you know, uh, Shazam will hopefully be big in China. I know Beyonce is big in China, and she's going to have a big night at the Grammys. At least many people hope so. Oh, I see what you're doing there. You want to talk about the Grammys. Okay. The Grammy Awards, which... Absolutely. We just finished watching. Yes, we just finished watching because there's no way we, we recorded the rest of this show before. <laughs> no. no. No, we, we never would do that. that. You're telling me the Grammys happen later on Sunday. And we recorded the rest of the show earlier, so we're now in the future, and when we go back, it'll be the past? Yes, that, that wow. definitely did not happen at all. Wow. So the Grammy Awards happened. Uh, general thoughts on the show? Uh, well, of course, it was, uh, as, as they pointed out numerous times, it's the first time it's back in L.A., and uh, you know, I was like, you know, it's basically back in Staples Center uh, with an audience, as opposed yes. to... Uh, you know, kind of being in Las Vegas, and uh, which was a legit show, but it and, wasn't. And they in, were going uh, for the for the Golden Globes vibe. They had tables down front. Everybody was drinking. Loose, happy party feel. I think was what they were going for. Yes, correct. Uh, and to be honest, no, not a fan of it. I, I don't know why. I just thought like it just didn't work for me. I don't know why. I think it was. I do not know why it didn't work. It just felt too spread out. You had no idea. I couldn't build the space in my head. That was part of the problem. I couldn't see how they were covering it. Uh, and the stage was this kind of like giant LED projection screen and was constantly moving. Uh, not all the performances were good. Some were great. They never are all good. What was your favorite? I kind of, I think the last one. The, the Jay-Z and... Yeah, just because there was so much going on. And of course, how could you not like the hip hop, like 50 years of hip hop? I will say, like, I was like, who are some of these people? <laughs> like, I had no idea. But, you know, I said that about, like, who was the guy that you said? I Lucas could list Combs? them, but you, I could list them, but you could just basically list every hip hop artist of the last 50 years and you're going to hit somebody. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was impressive. It was, it was, you know, from the beginning right up. <laughs> you know, there was, there was everybody. Everybody was there. It was uh, pretty impressive. Uh, and it was long, but it was, uh, and then they sort It was of really long. Capped off the show with another, another big rap uh, performance with Jay-Z and DJ Khalid and Lil Wayne and Rick Ross and John Legend and Friday doing God Did. Uh, so it was a very hip-hop night, but that's the dominant art form at the moment. So uh, that was certainly an impressive gathering of stars. It's like, okay, we're going to do a tribute to country music. Somebody get dig up Bill Monroe and Hank Williams and, you know, it's like, and take it right up to, you know, I mean, they just had everyone. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty big. My favorite performance was Brandi Carlisle. I thought she did a great job. Oh, she again. was great. She yeah. was really good. 
And uh, my I, least- I thought actually mm-hmm. she might have a chance of winning album of the year, and here's why: she is a veteran hobnobber when it comes to kind of glad hand. And I don't, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way. When it comes to meeting and greeting the academy at all the uh, the academy voters and all those uh, ceremonies and all those events, she is always there. She's always there. She turns up. She does the work. She how does would the you, How would you know that? Uh, just from what everyone says, you know, she's, first of all, she's at every award ceremony. So there's that. Okay. Uh, she's at all of the uh, Grammy museum functions and you can all just right. see pictures of, and you're, and so I thought, well, maybe, you know, some of the Grammy voters would be like, oh, I know Beyonce should win, but you know what? I'm just gonna, I feel like I'm throwing my vote away, but you know what? I really just owe it to Brandy to vote for her. I thought maybe that might happen. Well, it but, didn't. It didn't, of course, as we know, the album of the year is not Beyonce's Renaissance, but Harry Styles and Harry's House. Hey, it's my number two favorite album of the year. I almost made it my favorite album of the year. I came close. I just felt like it had been too long and I needed to give Elvis Costello the top slot. But I almost said, you know, if I pick it for album of the year, uh, I may just be matching the Grammys for the first time in, you know, 50 years that we both have the same number one album. And that's exactly By the way, what happened. spoiler alert, spoiler mm. alert, you don't tell people about your number one pick until later in the show. Oh my gosh, that's right, that's right. <laughs> well, by, my album the way, of the so, year so list the, was the, posted on Showbiz Amex. I'm sure everybody listening to the show, you know, is following us on Facebook, and so they got that link, and they've true. already been checking it out. But yes, Harry Styles won album of the year, but Beyonce won, I think, four awards tonight, including uh, an R&B award and Best Dance Album, and she now has... 32, making her the most honored Grammy artist of all time. Sir Joel Solti, a classical music conductor who just won a classical music Grammy every other year, uh, he had 31. And she, she tied Quincy Jones earlier in the day, then she passed him up, and then she went on to beat Sir George Solti. So she is now the most Grammyed person of all time. Not exactly a diss in my book. I thought it was, I thought it was honorable. No. She did a dance album. It won Best Dance Album. Uh, no, she has not won Song, Record, or Album of the Year yet. She probably should have won for Lemonade, politically and philosophically. But, you know, winning the most Grammys of all time is pretty damn good. And her husband capped off the show, so it was a pretty good night for their household. Yeah, you know, speaking of houses, uh, Harry's house. Harry's, uh, this is the, the headline in the New York Times. Harry Styles takes Album of the Year, comma, giving Beyonce a fourth career loss in the category. So it's like, he can't Ouch. even win the award. He can't win Album of the Year without being told, oh, but you beat Beyonce. Well, uh, I, 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 I can really, tell you, mm-hmm. the, the LA Times on their calendar section, their, their, yeah, their arts and leisure section, the headline was, okay, Grammys, do, period, you said this, not, you <laughs> period, screw this up. <laughs> well, yes, it's all about you know, oh, Adele stole it from her. Harry, no, no, that's not how it works. Uh, but I do think Harry had a poor performance. I was really looking forward to oh, seeing yeah. him perform as it was. I have not seen him in tour. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a good per- performer in concert. Uh, they tried to recreate his music video, a very clever music video on stage. It just didn't work at all. I felt like the cameras were not where they should be. I don't think visually they could have caught what he was trying to do. Maybe the, if the camera work had been better. But I feel like it just didn't work at all. He's half the time with the band, then running over to be on the spinning stage thing, and then back to the band, then back up there. It was just a, just a mess, not a well-thought-out performance. But in general, I felt like 
The show was not well directed and well captured on camera. I felt it was a little scattershot. There was a lot of bleeding into the mics, open mics. So there was background noise and ambient noise, which was not, not in a good way when people were giving their acceptance speeches or, or Trevor Noah was talking. It just felt messy and loud and then not visually really grabbing where they should be. From, from Bad Bunny to Stevie Wonder's tribute to Motown to uh, the In Memoriam, it just did not feel like a well-directed show. Uh, there were several albums on that list of Album of the Year nominees that just didn't even have a chance, and really it came down to the Harry Styles album and, and the, the Beyonce album, unless somehow Adele pulled off like some huge upset and, and maybe, uh, you know, uh, why, why am I blanking on her name? I, uh, Brandy Carlisle. You know, I, I thought maybe Brandy Carlisle, Harry Styles, or, or Beyonce. But uh, really, it came down to me, in my mind, between Harry Styles and Beyonce. I didn't think Coldplay had a chance. I didn't think Matthew Blige had a chance. Bad Bunny, maybe, but not really. Bad Bunny, biggest artist of the year in streaming. Harry Styles had one of the biggest hits of all time with his song, As It Was. I mean, it was number one for 14 weeks or something, you know. I mean, that's a monster hit. Um, You can see Grammy being old and fuddy-duddy-ish a little bit. Willie Nelson winning Best Country Album for a perfectly fine album, a good album, but not the best album of that crop. Uh, Samara Joy winning Best New Artist. She's a jazz singer. I I liked her album. It's not on my best of the year list, but it's a good album. Uh, And she's a talent, but that's a very traditional talent uh, sort of thing. And then the shocker of the year. Uh, Lizzo won Best Record with her song About Damn Time. Harry Styles won Best Album. And Song of the Year to the shock of everybody, went to Bonnie Raitt for Just Like That. Now, that is the best song on her album. It's a good album from Bonnie Raitt. The song is a story song about, heart, uh, about organ, doning, uh, uh, organ donors, which is a, a noble thing. And it is a very memorable song. You hear it. It is the song people will sing and other artists will cover in coffee houses for decades to come. It's a very good song. And it is song of the year is supposed to go to the song that a lot of people will cover and when you're looking at them the heart part five god did easy on me uh, you know you can say that's a totally legit winner it was a shock it came out of left field but that's pretty damn legit i have to say yeah i mean i, I do wonder sometimes if there is a there are vote splits maybe well of you course know. yeah if there's two hip-hop songs you know that happens everywhere oh Big news, though, we did get an EGOT winner. Yes, that's true. Uh, Viola Davis won a Grammy, making her an EGOT. That's right. She won a Grammy for uh, her audiobook recording of her memoir, uh, Finding Me, I believe it's called. And so she's already won an Emmy for um, her TV series, How to Get Away with Murder. She's won two Tonys, and she won an Oscar for the film version of Fences. So uh, very cool. I love it when people win those. There's only like 15 people. But when you do it with a lot of different projects, four different projects, that really makes it legitimate. Or you win it for different things, like for directing and then acting. And that, you know, I find that even more impressive. Um, but that is impressive in every way, shape, and form. So she's been setting records for years now. And, and that's just one more. Wet Leg you know, did win it, best. Mm-hmm, Wet Leg did win best alternative album. I thought they might win best new artist, but they did win best alternative album. That's a great album. Oh, yeah. No, that's a very good album. Um, I did notice that Taylor Swift was there, even though her album was not 
in contention this year because of the way it, when it came out. And we've talked about that before. Well, about well, it's the, in contention the last time. year. It was on right. contention for last year. She is the cheerleader. No, 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 her new album, her new album. Sorry. Oh, her new album is not eligible till next year. Yes, yes. Right. Right. She is, oh. uh, she is a cheerleader. And I mean that in a positive sense. She is always there uh, clapping and cheering for people, dancing to the music. Uh, it's very legitimate. And uh, I respect it. You know, I, I, I like to see people, you know, cheery. Everybody tries to, be polite and smile when they lose an award and clap for the other person. But she is very much there saying, oh, yeah, good for you. Well, and I noticed, uh, you know, much like she's always there, it seems like Adele is always there. And it seems like if Adele is going to show up, you just got to give her an award. She's like Meryl Streep. It's like, well, she came. <laughs> give her an award. And to the point where she was surprised that she won the award. Meryl won, which Streep now is like totally often got escaping. nominated, but Meryl Streep almost never won. So oh, I know. It was well, that's, decades before I, Meryl I, Streep won. So they weren't always giving her awards. She was always getting nominated. It was cruel. <laughs> Best pop solo performance is what she wants. She looked so shocked. She was like, um, you do know who else is nominated, right? Like, why are you giving? No, <laughs> like, I've already won all these awards. I don't think she really expected to win. The same with Bonnie Raitt. They were, they were, those oh, were Bonnie the two Raitt, were Bonnie like, Raitt for I, 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 sure did not intend, <laughs> did not expect to win. Absolutely not. Nobody, nobody picked that. If you had bon- Bonnie Raitt on your Grammy scorecard for your, you know, betting among your friends, more power too. You deserve to win it all. What did you think of uh, the the first transgender woman winning? Sam Smith uh, won for Unholy, and the German pop singer Kim Petras uh, kind of uh, showed up and said that she was uh, the she first transgender woman to win. She didn't show up. They, they duetted on the song. She didn't well, show yeah. up. They, it was a duet win. done by them, and he wanted her to speak since she had broken ground with that win. I did feel like... Uh, uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida might have his head explode watching the Grammys early on. There was transgender people, queer people, men in dresses, men in spangles, women being big, large, black women talking about how proud they were. I thought, man, you know, that's going to wake him up. But in terms of pacing and stuff, by the way, the show, uh, the having fans talk about their favorite album of the year, you know, oh, Lord, we do not need filler. It's a three and a half hour show. Uh, it felt like filler. Almost four hours. Almost yeah. four hours. Yeah, that is just, you know, they, you know, three quarters of the way through the show, you give out record there, and then you're like, oh, and here's a, an icon award, and here's two executives we'd like to acknowledge, and here's a school team. It just. Uh, and then when know. they they gave out like the Dr. Dre award, I was like, really? Another award? Seriously? Okay. You and know, what, it just. In, in what it sense? was just getting to be so much like this show is very, very long. Skip to the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just was like, come on. Yeah, and and the, in memoriam, they had uh, different artists performing songs by people who died, like uh, Casey Musgrave singing Coal Miner's Daughter in tribute to Loretta Lynn. And then that sort of meant that you were doing a lot of country acts during that one. And then when, uh, it, it was a nice idea combining live artists performing songs by the people who died and then some clips of people like David Crosby and Jeff Beck but that too made the in memoriam section feel like five hours long. Yeah. Well, so, I think what yeah. we're saying, I think really we could just take our uh, Grammy coverage. Well, no, there are the years where the Grammys is really like on point, but mm-hmm. we, but it feels like every awards coverage we do, we feel we, we actually could take that coverage and just move it to the next year. The show was too long. <laughs> there were surprises. There weren't surprise. You know, it's, it's just uh, every year I feel like, you know, it's the same thing, which might be why 
the these award shows are get not getting great ratings. This will probably get great ratings because it had Beyonce, Harry Styles. There were a lot of big names. Mm, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know that it's going to move the dial a lot, but we'll find out. Normally, we would know when we're talking about it, but uh, we won't get the overnights until the overnight. <laughs> and when That's it comes true. to best song written for visual media, uh, we don't talk about Bruno. Yes. Uh, in fact, we don't talk about <laughs> no, Bruno. No, 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 we don't. Um, yes. Yeah, so I thought the show was a bit of a mess. I thought the uh, Beyonce was properly honored and, and made history. I thought the Harry Styles win was great because I think it's one of the best albums of the year. I was happy to see that. So uh, it was a messy show. It was a busy show. It was a loud show. I still like Trevor Noah. Who knows what he'll do next, but we'll follow him. <laughs> well, you've just heard about all the Grammy winners, and there's a, a, a winner of justice, at least in Iran, that would be director Jafar, pa <laughs> Jafar Panahi. He went on a hunger strike when he was in prison. Uh, he should never have been in prison. He went to the prison to say, hey, where's my fellow director? And they said, oh, yeah, why don't you go join them and put him in jail for, for weeks? We'll e show you where he is. Yeah, Get e in there. <laughs> even after the Supreme Court ruled his sentence was void for various technical reasons, he remained in prison. But finally, thank goodness, he has been released. Uh, you should check out his movies online. Uh, and a fair amount of them are available because streaming is pretty great now. Uh, it brings us to our streaming segment. A lot of interesting news, but we'll be quick here. Peacock, I subscribe to them. They hit 20 million subscribers. And if you haven't signed up for their free tier yet with advertising, too late. They're not accepting new signups for the free tier. From now on, you got to pay a little bit if you want to watch it with ads and pay a little bit more if you want to watch it without ads. Um, it's expensive putting on a streaming service. Just ask Amazon. They spent $16.6 billion on their programming in 2022. No surprise when they added Thursday Night Football and the Lord of the Rings TV series that that adds up quickly. And Netflix made a lot of noise when they accidentally revealed their password sharing clampdown and what they're going to be doing. And they're like, well, don't, don't, no, that'll come in the future, but not quite yet. Uh, it, they've got this Fakakta thing where uh, you, if you have four accounts, but they all have to be in your physical home location, uh, you must log in with your device every 30 days into your home Wi-Fi and use Netflix. And if you don't do that, they're going to know you're not an account that's in the home and they're going to say oh, it's no good. So no more your kids so, at college. So no more me. I don't, I don't log in at home with my laptop I, I, and watch Netflix. I watch Netflix all sitting in Panera. So I'm not sure how that's going to work for me. I'm going to be like, well, we've got two accounts, <laughs> not four, and I'm always doing it in the same zip code, but I'm not Asian. Yeah, I, I don't why, know how why do they want to be? I think they should have just said, "Look, you've got four accounts. You want you want to share more than you're going to pay. You want to set someone up with a separate code and password so it's easier for you to lock them out. Fine, but don't worry about where they're located. People are not selling them off to strangers. They got kids at school. They're traveling. They're like, well, you can travel, but you have to just get back. It's like, oh. It just seems like a lot of noise. But anyway, there you go. Uh, you I know mean, what? what about my, my daughter, for instance? She's studying in France for the year. Right. Uh, and she uses Netflix. Now, she can only see what is available in France. Right. She, she can't, like, watch U.S. stuff. Uh, but you'd, you'd pay extra for an extra account, I guess, even though it's not an extra person. Yeah. I, I don't know. It seems a lot of bother. Um, is there that much money to be had? We'll find out. And we're going to find out how big The Last of Us can get. The HBO series grows and grows and grows. The first two episodes are now averaging 21.3 million viewers. 
Uh, the White Lotus, by the way, that averaged 15 million viewers per episode. Euphoria, just under 20 million per episode. House of the Dragon, 29 million people watched every episode. An average of 29 million people watched every episode. That's <laughs> Compare that to AMC. AMC has two Anne Rice series. One is uh, The Interview with the Vampire. Another one is Mayfair Witches, which just got renewed for a second season. But uh, they have... 1.7 million viewers live plus three. 1.7 million. That's a, that tells you, it's a, you know, there's a lot of distance and difference between what's working for HBO and what's working for the smaller streamers and the cable channels and the, and the people in the world. Uh, but HBO, they're practically at an all-time peak. Somebody went back 20-plus years and said, how were their shows doing back in 2002? Uh, the Sopranos, 18 million viewers per episode in season four. Uh, Sex in the City season five, 14 million viewers. And Six Feet Under season two, 12 million viewers. So those were a lot of viewers, but 29 million, 21 million, 20 million, you know, that's, that's even bigger. So HBO's at an all-time peak. I'm not sure they're getting that story out. I don't think the world knows about that. But everyone knows that Showtime and Paramount Plus have merged. What a shocker, right? <laughs> it's like they had Showtime. Yeah, and, and, and they named it. I swear uh, they named it like they, they were uh, late for lunch. It's Paramount Plus. Uh, with Showtime. With Showtime. With Showtime. <laughs> That'll yeah, last like, about what, a week. Just, just call it Paramount Plus, for God's sake. Jesus. Uh, should they? And they're dropping programming. They're dropping the real world homecoming, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone reboot, uh, American Rust, and some. I know we've gotten some Let's info on how expensive it is to keep this stuff in your library, but I'm still a little surprised and astonished. And you know how if I subscribe to HBO and then suddenly I find out if I want to watch Westworld, I have to go to another channel and watch ads. It's not part of my HBO package. Or if, God forbid, The Sopranos wasn't anymore, I'd be kind of annoyed. I expect all that stuff to be there. I'm guessing they're dropping the shows that aren't being watched a lot, or they're the shows they can repackage and get people to watch with ads. But I still find it kind of annoying. That's what's happening with... And you know mm -hmm. what? I wouldn't mind if it was somewhere else. I mean, look, I, the reason I haven't finished... Uh, I didn't finish Westworld because I was like, oh, I'll finish it someday. Yeah, now... I, I can't see it at all. Well, you can. So, you can go to Roku. In the spring, they're launching fast channels. Those are TV channels with ads. Free, ad-supported television. It's what we used to call television. And they're working with Warner Brothers Discovery, and they're going to be showing content like Westworld, The Bachelor, and Say Yes to the Dress. They're all going to have dedicated channels, so you can go there, watch Westworld. You just got to sit through some ads. But if you're already paying for HBO Max, I would find that kind of irritating. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know what? Give it to me without ads if I'm paying for HBO Max. Yeah. Just give it to me without ads. Exactly. And by the way, if, if, but if I don't have that's not the HBO business Max, Roku is in. <laughs> yeah, well, just, just what? A, it's becoming it's a, I think it's rather a big annoying. Deal. It's a big deal when people get annoyed, they expect. Or go to the concerts if they want to go to. We'll talk about that later. That's right. Uh, but you know what? If, if that's a big deal, then I wonder what you'll think of our story. In Big Deal or Big Whoop this week. Uh, <laughs> uh, Big Deal or Big Whoop is our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment. And we tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story, Spotify has more subscribers than ever. Spotify has more users than ever. Spotify saw ad revenue grow. Thank goodness. Unfortunately, Spotify also saw its losses grow. So things are growing. 
You know, it's just uh, that's going in the wrong direction. Hey, three out of four ain't bad anyway. You know, it now has 205 million paid subscribers, 489 million active monthly users, and fourth quarter losses grew to $292 million. Prepare for your Spotify subscription to go up. Big deal or big whoop? Uh, big whoop, right? What does it matter? They're all making money. At least the, the people who work there make money. They're writing the checks. Everybody's getting paid. It just isn't making any money as a business. Who knew? <laughs> Where did we go wrong, Sperling? Why aren't we losing $292 million a quarter? You know what? I'll do you one better. I will only lose $250 million. <laughs> our, old, our, 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 our great friend Karen Woodward, uh, co-host of the show uh, back in the day, uh, I, she reached out after I sent out my best music of the year list and we were chatting online. And she said, you guys making any money on it yet? Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> Sperling, won't even put on a, Sperling won't even make a donate button, I say. <laughs> Sperling refuses to put up a donate button. This is apparently technologically impossible. It can't be done. We got, we got people to the moon, but we can't put a donate button on Showbiz Sandbox, which means you get all this for free. Uh, maybe that's a little too inside baseball. Oh, well, if that's inside baseball, it must be time for inside baseball, where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more, more importantly, how they affect you. And if you're a music fan, well, this has been the... the the episode about the Grammys, and we're going to stick with great music because we're being joined by our guest Sal Nunziato of the blog Burning Burning Wood or Burnwood Tonight. I always get confused. Burnwood Tonight is a play it's on Burnwood Tonight, and the blog is, is that right? That's right. The blog is called <laughs> Burning Wood. The the URL is Burnwood Tonight with an I T E. That's right. And uh, Sal has done everything. He's been in numerous bands. Uh, he's a fan. He's a musician. He's a rec- been a record store owner. He buys and sells vinyl at record shows. He sells, uh, buys and sells stuff online. He's got a blog where he talks about his passions and the stuff that he loves and rants about things every once in a while, as only a true music lover can do. And it's really great to have you on the show, Sal. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you've got some great news. I was talking to you, and you mentioned when we were talking about music and what people are listening to, you said you're getting more traffic than ever on Burning Wood. Yeah, I, I always judged, um, you know, based on the comments. You know, if, if, a, if a particular post only had three or four comments, I would think, oh, this was a failure. Or, if, you know, and if I got like 50 comments, I said, okay, you know, we, we hit something here. And um, that's not a real way to gauge what's going on because if you look at the overall stats, um, it's, posts that have one or two comments still have as many views as the, the the posts that have 50 or 60 comments and it just seems like um i would say in the last six months maybe 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 even a year uh traffic has tripled wow which is yeah and 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 you know and and it's not it's not like in the millions the way a huffington post would be you know but but for me you know, we're, we're getting, you know, on a popular post we're we're getting like, you know, between seven and 10,000 views. Now that's, that's a rarity that seven to 10,000, but, but 
you know, just this morning, something, w- w- whatever yesterday's post was, if it was the the, the mix or, or something, um, overnight got about 400 hits. And, you know, 400 hits on something that's as innocuous as like, you know, let's talk about Marshall Crenshaw. You know, for me, it's that's like a big deal. So I'm happy with that. Yeah, that's very exciting. I mean, I think we, we're seeing that in... You know, your blog, of course, and your top 10 list of the best albums of the year, you include new artists, of course, but you spend a lot of time talking about the people you're passionate about, new releases of classic albums, great bands that you love saying, you know, come on, you say you love Bowie, but you haven't listened to the Tin Machine lately, have you? And uh, that's reflected in the streaming numbers. We're seeing more people are listening to catalog stuff than just the latest hit because they can. They've got access to a Veen Spotify or Amazon Music or whatever it might be. Uh, there's reports that more young people are listening to classical music. Isn't that strange? Uh, the most popular acts aren't as big. Maybe 10 years ago, they'd sell 10 million copies. Now they're selling the equivalent of like 5 million or 3 million when it comes to how much streaming they're getting. The biggest hit songs of the year aren't as big as they were in the last five or 10 years. And that's been a steady trend. It's true. We're being inundated with more new music than ever. Sperling joke that I listen to every album. Nobody does. It's not possible. But... There is a lot of new music out there, but you know what? People can listen to the latest shiny thing, or they can come to Burning Wood and check out your mix of great tracks by Marshall Crenshaw. And more and more people are saying, you know what? I want. No, no, I'm done. No, I was just going to say, you know, it, it, it's. I've been touting Marshall Crenshaw for literally 40 years. Um, and I always felt like this was someone who, who needed to be a superstar. Um, whether he wanted it or not, that's a different story because he, he's just done his thing and he's been consistent. And, I, and, I, and I've always argued that there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know why, you know, the whole finger on the pulse, I got to find the next bit. You know, I, I, I'm just not into that. If something is working, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it is the basic. But, but that's just how I feel about catalog about about all the music that's been released already i'm not against new music i just want to be i i want to be wowed by the new music the way i was wowed by the older music and as more time goes on the less that happens for me personally and that brings us to our best albums of the year you joked to You've got a lot of great music on there, and you've got some new acts, but you've also got an average age of about 70, is what you joked. You've got a lot of veteran acts, but you know what? And and I was very surprised looking at your list, uh, um, you know, with the amount of music that you do listen to, and as diverse as your list is, and it's four times as long as mine, I was surprised to not see the Tears for Fears universally acclaimed comeback record on that list. I'm curious. I know I'm the guest, but I'm asking you. <laughs> Where was that? Did, did you not like that record? I, I listened to it because of you, because of your recommendation and your hearty recommendation. And I, I love their sound. I've loved some of their singles. I've never really loved any album of theirs. Uh, so uh, there's something slightly missing for me there. I had a great friend in college who loved them. Uh, I had a great friend in, uh, in New York City who loved them. I've got you who really likes them a lot. You've liked their last two albums. They're practically your favorite of their careers. So that makes me go that's back exa- to them. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly me- right. But I like, I, like the, I like that you said what you just said because I, I was expecting you to say, 
I was hoping, I, let me rephrase that. I was hoping you didn't say it just wasn't as good as this or that. The fact that you never really loved the band makes more sense to me. So, so there, that I get. I, I'll they, accept that. They've got some great singles, and uh, it, it was certainly a listenable album, and I, I enjoyed listening to it. It did, just did not make my best of the year okay. list. But a lot of stuff did. Let's talk about the stuff of yours that is uh, not shared by me. You've got uh, new albums by Taj Mahal and Rai Cooter working together. You've got an album by Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam, and you've got a, a great reggae album, Horace Andy. Uh, that's a sort of a running joke on uh, Burning Wood, where you say if you, want, if you want to get quiet things down, you just talk about reggae for a minute. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, and, that's one way to, to to shut the party down. And tears for fears. Oh, well, I mean, reggae it seems universally beloved. Everybody goes, "I love Bob Marley," uh, but reggae, for some yeah, reason, it, does not get traffic, does it? And if you and if you ask if you ask any reggae diehard, um, they're not listening to Bob Marley. Right? They respect they respect Bob Marley. They know what Bob Bob Marley has done, but that's not what their reggae collection is all about and and um you know i i think the horace i mean horace andy is a, a reggae legend i think um you know he he sort of made it um into the commercial mainstream by by guesting with massive attack on their classic record um protection um and this record is is what I think is a perfect combination of what they were doing on that, that classic massive attack and what Horace does. I mean, his voice um, doesn't have that, that beautiful high tenor that it did on the early records, but it, uh, it's, it just worked for me. I thought it was a fantastic, you know, uh, uh, you know, from a guy who's been around, uh, I don't want to say comeback, but yes, it, it was, it was a great record for me. And we share um, seven albums in common in our top 11. But one yeah, of mine is on my list because of you. You don't include it, perhaps, because it's a live album or a reissue. It's from 1977. But that would be the Rolling Stones live at the Elmo Combo, an album that you absolutely loved. Yeah, I, I just played it uh, two days ago uh, in its entirety um, because I, um, I, I was just reading Bill German's book, Under Their Thumb, which is uh, about how as a 16 year old he forced his way into the rolling stones camp by by writing a newsletter and then 40 years later was at every stone show keith was calling him up for help it's just a, it's a really fantastic and fun book and and so as he was mentioning all of the shows he, he mentions the elmo combo again and you know if if it, it's exactly what you want the stones to be you know, you yeah. don't want the overproduced Don was Mick trying to be current nonsense. You want the rock and roll band. And they were on fire at this show. And you're right. I didn't put it on the best of list just because it's a live record and it's old material. But but it certainly was one of the best things that I've heard in a long time. And possibly um, it's probably top five live albums for me. Yeah, that's that's saying a lot. And there's yeah. a there's an album on your list. I like to feel I helped nudge into your into your viewership. Hopefully, just because I liked this artist a lot, and you've seen her name before on my list, and that would be the jazz singer Cecile McLaurin Salvant. We both have Ghost Song on our on our list. It's a it's an album, a jazz album in the in the vein of Cassandra Wilson, where she has some eclectic covers and some original material, and she's just a tremendously uh, fascinating and terrific uh, talent. 
Yes, and 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 it was th- through you that that I I recognized the name, um, and then I guess it was for the video for for the title track Ghost Song that just it, it floored me, and it, it 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 moved me so much that that I think I said in my in my post that that was my favorite song of the year as well. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. Uh, uh, I hate the word eclectic, but but it, it's not. I think it's a step above Cassandra Wilson, who I love. I'm a fan of Cassandra. I've seen her live many times, but but I agree that it it has that style. But there's something about this that just pushes the envelope a little bit more, which makes it so much more appealing to me. It's it's um, you don't know where it's going. There's there's a lot of twists and turns. Well, you've introduced me to some uh, good rock bands because of you. I have uh, Wet Leg on my list, and uh, we both have Buzzard, Buzzard, Buzzard. And uh, I included Tchotchke, uh, a latecomer to the list, uh, just uh, in Under yeah. the Wire. Um, you introduced me to some great jazz and, and, uh, and uh, folky rockers like uh, Charlie Gabriel, uh, uh, New Orleans Institution, and Tommy McLean, who's had a great long career. And we, we both have Dr. John. Uh, for his posthumous album, Things Happen That Way. And when you look at our list, uh, hopefully, I think maybe you'll have Altamita. Uh, maybe you'll give them a listen if you haven't to already, but their third album, Born Losers, is really good. Uh, did you ever listen to Harry Styles? Uh, we're talking before the great... I, I, I was just about to say the first thing I am going to listen to is Harry Styles because um, a number of people who I would not expect to like Harry Styles have mentioned the Harry Styles record. And what is the, what is the single, um, as it was, is it Matilda? No, no, no. Uh, oh, Matilda. Uh, that's a lovely song. Yeah. 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 Th- that's the track that they said, just listen to this, just listen to this. So I have it queued up, that's going to be the first thing off your list that I haven't heard that I will listen to. And we both, you know, I have to mm-hmm. say I was listening to uh, the radio the other day or it was re- radio. <laughs> Right. I mean Spotify, uh, and it was one of the one of those like viral hits, you know, the trending songs. Uh, and there was a song by Miley Cyrus, uh, "Flowers." Flower, oh yeah, it's number one song in Flowers, the country. Yes, that was a very good song. Yeah. Uh, and then there were several other songs that I didn't really know the people who who played them. You know, like I had no clue who they were. And then all of a sudden, there was a Harry Styles song from that album, Harry's House. And I went, "Wow, you know what? Actually, this is a really good. This is he really did a good job on this album. They really produced that album. Oh my well. God, it's 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 really really well engineered. If that doesn't win best engineered non classical album, I think it just." The textures and the sounds and the voices on that album, I think, are just terrific. But we both agree on the best album of the year. Tell us about it. Uh, It's a a rocker who's been on my list over the last 30 years like 19 times. 18 albums and one EP. And he's finally topped our list, your list and my list. We both agree the best album of the year is... Elvis Costello and the Impostors, The Boy Named If. And um, unlike... Many Elvis Costello fans, I did not give up in 1982. <laughs> um, I, I love his his genre jumping. Um, not everything works, but most, most of, of it, it did. Most of it did. Yeah, absolutely. And what I thought was amazing about this record, aside from the fact that not a single person um, was in the same room together at any time. Thank you, COVID. Uh, 
yeah, but but it doesn't sound that way. This sounds like a cohesive rock and roll record by guys who are looking at each other and playing off of each other. And I, I also love how you hear other classic Elvis Costello music in each of the songs. Mm-hmm. He quotes himself a number of times. Yeah. There's the there's the organ from the beat from this year's model in you know this song. There's the phrasing in God's comic from Spike in that song, and and it's just an incredibly hook filled rock and roll record that. Um, I, I just I played it more than any record this year, without a doubt. And that's usually my my marker. Like you know what, whatever I play the most, that's almost always the best album of the year. Yeah, and absolutely. I'll, I'll certainly well, mm-hmm. I, no. I can I, tell you that I did not give up on Elvis Costello in 1982. I didn't know who he was in 1982. <laughs> uh, yeah. I only first saw him perform live in 1989, uh, and the last time I saw him perform live was in 2021 with my daughter oh very cool oh nice well uh, well a good job introducing her to good stuff will you take her to a springsteen concert sal and i are both big fans of bruce springsteen um and kind of shocking news in the last week the fanzine backstreets which is kind of the gold standard of of fanzines for you know for a particular act uh it's been in business for 43 years and business isn't the right word it's been in the passionate coverage of all things springsteen for the last 43 years and they are shutting down which you know that happens but the reason they're citing is kind of shocking in a way they're like you know what it's the high ticket prices going to a show they said they had a plea about six months ago where they're like oh my god this the pricing on these new tour and they felt they simply could not cover the tour properly they couldn't afford it and they, the feedback from their fans was that their friends like we're not that excited either they're, they're heartbroken. Yeah. And, and, and that's really what it is. You know, it, it, you know, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine and my friend said, well, give Bruce a little bit of credit. He's, he's owning it. He's, he's coming out and saying, this is why the prices of tickets are so high. And, mm. and my response was, there's a difference between, owning something and backing something up and owning it is just saying, yeah, that's what I did. We're 73. The guys are sweating on stage and we want to get as much money as possible. Yeah. Backing it up would be, well, the venues are costing more insurance is more because of COVID blah, 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 blah. I wish and it didn't have to be this way, et cetera. No, he right, says, right. if you don't, if you're not happy, we'll give you a refund on the way out. Right. And, and, you know, and then he has the nerve to do night shift, right. (laughs) On top of everything else, you know, and, 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 and I feel, and I, and I don't want it to be so simple, right. I'm just getting used to separating the artist from the artist, the the art from the artist. Yeah. Right. That's hard enough, right. It's hard enough to like watch a film with your favorite actor who was accused of this or listen to a record, you know, that's hard enough to do. But now I I have to, you know, I look at the Springsteen records and I'm just thinking like, I should be at that show. Yeah. I've seen them. I've seen them 50 times. And, and, and you're willing to pay money. You're willing to pay hard earned good money. It's not like you expect it to be a bargain. Absolutely. But, but I look at it and I, and I will, and I want to say like, yeah, you know, screw you, you know, because (laughs) I just feel like, 
you've betrayed your fans. This is what you've spent your entire career fighting against. And and now it's like oh, whatever. Well. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, you know, you know it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we said the same thing about Will Smith after this year's No, Oscar no, no, these are very different Oscar. things. These are very well, different Well, no, no, things. let me just, just hear me out. Um, we said that he spent 30 years building up his reputation as Mr. Nice Guy and like the nicest guy around. And then that's, he threw it all away in two seconds by slapping somebody on live television. Springsteen, as you say, Sal, he spent his entire career for the fans in 1999 when he got back together. Ticket prices were $95 and they stayed $95 for like, I don't even know how long. He kept them really low and he tried to prevent scalper. Now, He's just like caved in and it's like, well, whatever, you know, let the fans pay with the band. He could have, he could have doubled the the ticket price. He could have, he, he, there's so many things he could have done that he didn't do. And one of the worst things that he did was take as long as he took to address it. And he let John Landau address it. And which that was, that just was salt in the wound. I, I, I think the, the, you know, whatever hope these Bruce Springsteen fans have and the people at Backstreet's have about the second round of uh, stadium shows being better, you know, okay, great. So, so he plays a 70,000 seater and instead of a, <laughs> and instead of it being $500, it's 350, yeah. you know, a stadium show should be 30 bucks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, you know, it's not going to make us not be a fan of the music. We're still going to listen to it. Backstreet people made, uh, you know, bent over backwards to make that clear. We're not tearing up our fan card or whatever. Um, but it, it hurts, and it's kind of shocking. It's like hearing the Deadhead saying, "Yeah, we don't want to go on tour with the with the Grateful Dead anymore." You're like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like that's your whole life, man. That's what you love, and we love him. Yeah, We'd I mean- love to see him again and not feel like we're having to pay an arm and a leg to do it. There's a way to make sure your fans can get access and pay a good amount. Of money, but can at least have access. You do not need to say, well, scalpers will get that. Therefore, we're going to charge it. It's like, no, no, you decide the fair price and do what you must to charge it. It's, it's, it's not that hard. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a little shock to hear Backstreet's people going, we're, we're just not excited to cover it. And our fans aren't I excited to hear about deal. it. Yeah. I think it's a big new, it's a big yeah. news item that they're closing because of that. I think yeah. that's, I think it's used. It's well, to give you some sense, they, there was always somebody there as, as somebody who was in the front row numerous times for uh, a Springsteen show. And by front row, I mean, you know, you're like standing around. So you're kind of like in the front area. There was always somebody from Backstreet's there. They paid for the ticket. They went and the Springsteen cadre so to speak the people who were his entourage would always know who was there from backstreets and they would afterwards hand the set list to them so that they had a, a copy of it that they could then go and post somewhere. yeah smart just and, like the just like the dead the grateful dead let people plug into the soundboard it was good for business you know and it was servicing right. the fans and saying yeah yeah we see you you know we're not we're not gonna you know bring you backstage and give you dinner but yeah we we, we respect your fact that you're here and you, you're here for the right reasons and you know we're happy to pat you on the back. So it's a shame. The first time I saw it happen, I said, how did you, how did that guy know? How did that, uh, you know, roadie know to rip the, 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 uh, set list, set list off the floor and then hand it to you. Did you talk to him beforehand? He went, well, no, I, I'm with Backstreet's. So and he just like the person said to me, no, like, of course I'm with Backstreet's. Of course they're going to give. And I just thought, oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I kind of got turned off uh, at Broadway. I'm like, if you're on Broadway doing your show, it's not to make money. You're not there to make money. If you want to make money, you go to the, 
You go to a giant football stadium and pack it in. You can do that. You can do it 10 nights in a row. Uh, if you're on Broadway, you're there because you want to be there, and you should not be charging these crazy high ticket prices. Uh, it just um, made me very sad because I wanted to be there and see it, but I didn't want to pay that price. So, But I still love yeah. his music, and I'm still listening. And he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Sperling, we have a new batch of nominees. So walk us through, uh, 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 you know, walk us through the, the batch of nominees this year, and Sal can say thumbs up or thumbs down and a quick why, and I'll do the same. This is the worst list okay. yet. <laughs> okay. Yikes. I know what he's going to say about number three. All right, keep going. Okay. Uh, well, I guess Kate Bush. Let's start there. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I love her. She's uh, a musician's musician. I think every musician would want to see her in there. But if we're going to use the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's rules and why and if they're going to allow country rap and metal and all this other stuff i want to know exactly what it is about kate bush that puts her in here because she's a cult figure she never really broke in the u.s until stranger things she's got a a very you know small catalog of music she doesn't tour um I love her. I want to see her in there, but I'm on the fence about. I, I can't be a. I can't be all in on this one. Well, I'm. Well, you know, she is running up that hill. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally in. I'm totally in. I don't know about a small list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten albums. That's not exactly a. You know, I mean, she's not a pouring them out in forty years. Yeah, that's all right. And uh, and you don't you don't need to um you don't need to be a big commercial hit to deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So uh, she's just no. A, I didn't say a commercial hit. I just said that she didn't even break in the U.S. I until don't care. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. But she influenced right. every act yeah. that came after. So she's uh, she's absolutely in for me. Thumbs up. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna selectively pick a few here. Uh, Cheryl Crow. No, absolutely not. Um, she will absolutely get in. Everybody's worked with her and played with her. I wouldn't put her in either. Missy she's gonna write her biggest hit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, Missy Elliott. Uh, no, I mean, no. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I mean, why? You know, I mean, if if we're if we're gonna allow if we're gonna allow all genres in, yeah. there's fifteen other rap acts that should get in. If some are already in, Tribe Called Quest should be in. They right. I, I, you know, but Miss, Missy Elliott. I, 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 I give Tribe Called Quest the thumbs up as well. Uh, next one, Iron Maiden. Absolutely, and I'm not even a fan. And I love heavy metal. Uh, uh, I, I'm in if it's a if it's Judas Priest versus Iron Maiden. I'm a Judas Priest guy, and I was thrilled that they got in. But absolutely, Iron Maiden they they are the heavy metal standard. They have influenced every heavy metal band that came after. Absolutely. Um, I don't know enough, so I will bow to your judgment. And is it because of their? Their lyrics or their music? What, what did they? How did they influence everyone? Yes, I always, I always, I mean, not that Judas Priest's lyrics are any, right. you know, any more. And there's just something about this. I've had this conversation with a friend of mine who loves both bands. Um, they're great players. Their records sound great. It just, I'm just not a fan of that whole thing. Yeah. I, I, I can't explain it. All right. But, but I recognize how important, how they amazing they are. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Joy Division, New Order. Um, I love New Order. I like Joy Division. Um, I, I have to say yes because of of 
how many people also love both what they've done for post-punk. Um, there are bands that are recording records now, like like a, a new band that I love, Gustav, uh, without a doubt, sounds like both of those bands. So I'm going to say yes. I, I agree with you. Uh, they're not my favorite, but they're absolutely influential. And there are other bands have gone in in this sort of two-band thing, like the Rascals and the Young Raxels, Faces and the Small Faces, and Parliament Funkadelic. So there is precedent, and they deserve it. And uh, a girl who just wants to have fun, Cindy Lauper. <laughs> No, no. I mean, I, I, no, absolutely not. I really like Cindy Lauper. I think she can become an EGOT. All she needs is an Oscar. She's a very fun, interesting talent, but doesn't have even close to the body of work in music that would get her into the hall. Right, exactly. What about George Michael? Um, By like the way, him. Whitney Houston, Janet Jackson, and Madonna are all in. So now right. another 80s okay. icon, George yeah. Michael. Um, I, I do think that Whitney Houston, Madonna, and who was the third you said? Uh, Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson. Uh, okay. I de- definitely. Miss Nasty, if you're. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't think Janet Jackson deserved to be in. I do believe Madonna deserved to be in. Absolutely. Uh, um, George and, Michael. Uh, George Michael. I'm a fan. He's got a great voice. He's got some good hits. You know, Wham were a sensation for a little while. Uh, I just don't know what's so important. Well, he wrote and produced most of his hits, you know, so that's that that's sort of more telling than just a voice, too. Uh, Again, it's it's not just about that. Right. I mean, it's not just about writing your hits. It's about isn't it the whole body of work Mm -hmm. and your influences? I mean, are there people are there people out there who want to be George Michael? Are they starting bands because of George Michael? I, I, I don't know. I say, I say, I say I'm on the fence, but I say yes. Okay. Well, this next person, uh, if if he gets in, he would and has to uh, go and appear uh, in Cleveland for the induction. He says he's going to have to get on the road again. Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, how how why wouldn't it be? How, <laughs> how did it, how did it take all of this to you know? It's his first time being years? nominated. First time being nominated, and Dolly Parton got in ahead of him. I mean, this is like the you know, give the best Oscar to Peter Finch. You know, four <laughs> months after he's dead. You know, it, it's like. It, you know why didn't why wasn't Willie Nelson nominated in 1989? <laughs> he I don't get, been. That's the thing I don't get. Yeah, you know? but he absolutely deserves it. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. Uh, this this next group, uh, they're angry. Rage Against the Machine. Um, you don't want to make uh, them angry. Just 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 let them in. Let them in. <laughs> I, I say no. I, 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 the only record I do like by them is their covers record, Renegades. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that. Th- I love what they're about. Yeah. I, I, I love what they're doing. Um, I just don't think it's, I just don't think it's that great. Ditto. You know, and it's ditto, yeah. ditto, ditto. Next. Soundgarden. Um, I love them. Love Chris Cornell's voice. think they have some really great records. They don't have a lot of records. Um, and that's not because Chris Cornell died. It's just, they didn't make a lot of records. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to get in this year, you know, but, but I'm, I'm also on the fence, even though I'm a fan, whether they deserve to be in. I have to listen to them, so I will take a pass. The Spinners. 
Um, I, I love them. I think they're great. You know, they had a couple, one or two hits from Motown, but mostly when they hooked up with Tom Bell, that's when they became huge. Uh, and those singles are all great. And, um, yeah, why not? Why not? You know, I have no problem with the spinners getting in. No, I don't either, but it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, first nominated in 2011. It's been a long time. Uh, they may not get in again this time. They've always been the bridesmaid. Right. What about a tribe called Quest? We both say they should get in. So move on to the next yes, one. Absolutely. Wait for the yeah, fireworks. Yeah. Wait for the fireworks on the next one. Sperling? The White Stripes. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <not>. Absolutely yes. <laughs> uh, plus Jack White. I have, is- a, I have a real I have a real problem with Jack White. Yeah. Um I recognize his talent. Oh, and yeah. as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I saw the White Stripes on on one of the best triple bills t- ever since the since the days of the Fillmore. It was Porter Wagner. Oh, wow. With with um, Nick Cave's, uh, what's the band? The, the, the other band, Grinder Man. Oh, no, Grinder Man. Man. Yeah. What? And, and Porter Wagner with Grinder Man? Porter Wagner, Grinder Man, and the White Stripes at Madison Square Garden. And what blew me away was that Jack White was the entire show. He had 20,000 people under his thumb. I mean, Meg was just doing her, you know, little Thumpity Ricky thump. crap on drums and and he just he knocked me out but the thing that always bothered me about the white stripes from day one and continues to bother me about the white stripes is that the the, the selling point was that well they're doing the blues for the people who don't know the blues and so now these young kids these young kids no, are going to listen to their version of Death Letter. That's all that matters and, and is the music. What's that? Just listen to the music. Don't worry about what somebody wrote. In it's some... average. It's, a, it's average. All right. It's that's okay. Average. But not the marketing or whatever some idiot said to sell it. You know. Well, but, 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 but it's the Rock and Roll Hall Seven thing. Nation Army. That's a great, great well, rock song. You know, I, I, I'm sure he didn't write that to be the the halftime show. <laughs> no, I, he didn't write. He didn't write. We will rock you. Wasn't written to be. Well, actually, it was written to be a, a stadium chant. <laughs> it was. But, but, it was. Right, it, it really was. Like, well, so I, I think they've got a great body of work, and his solo stuff adds to it, though it's not as interesting. And uh, his curation. Well, they're going to get in, and I'm going to I'm going to look like a, a schmuck. But, nah. but I, well, I, we're not predicting I, who I, will get in. We're saying who what we think. So you won't look right, like okay. a schmuck. I, I'm not. I say no. And I'll be fascinated by the now, last one. Go for it, Sperling. Well, this one is a yes. Warren Zevon. Um, I I, I want to say yes because I love the guy. I love his solo work. Um, he's written he's written hits for Jackson Brown for Linda Ronstadt. He's been around a long time. He was writing hits for the Turtles. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I, I, I just don't know if um, I think it's unfair that people are going to just remember Werewolves of London. Mm-hmm. You know well, that, that he, he's unfortunately going to be looked at as a one-hit wonder by a lot of the people, you know, who who, who don't well, not, really not know. Not the people voting in the hall because they wouldn't put him in if he was a one. No, right, exactly, right, right. But you think he belongs? Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, sentimentally, I'd be happy to see him get in. I'm not quite sure. I would put him in my personal rock and roll hall of fame. I've always liked the music I listened to by him. I haven't loved it, but boy, he died well. You know. Letterman, yeah. the, the thing. I mean, God bless him. Billy Joel said this about Warren. He wrote a letter to the committee saying, "Please nominate Warren Zevon." And he said, "Quote: 
I think he exemplified the soul of L.A., if there is one. <laughs> yeah. I think the first hey. two, the first two <laughs> records. Oh yeah. The, the 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 first two records are as good as any record. That's Excitable of Boy. The, the last It's it's a self-titled record and Excitable Boy. Yeah. For those two records alone, he deserves to be in the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's what you listen to and you deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Thanks for uh, joining us on the show. Uh people should I appreciate it. Thanks pe- for having me. I enjoy this. Go listen. We've got a link in our show notes to your top 11 list, the best albums of the year and my list. So go check those out even more. You can find great mixes like um, the Marshall Crenshaw mix. Every week he does the songs of the week list and tells you what he's listening to and why and uh, on those songs, why they're there. On Saturday, he does a little humor dump, including some political stuff, which I enjoy. You can always check out what he's listening to right now, what he's playing every day. He sells albums online. He buys albums online. So go to burnwoodtonight.blogspot.com. Go to our links in the show notes. And Sal, uh, thanks very much for stopping by. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Okay. Well, it was great of Sal to come by. A lot of great acts. It'd be nice to see Willie Nelson get in before he dies, for God's sakes. I don't know what took them so long, but a couple of people died this week. Uh, two we're going to mention in particular. Cindy Williams of Laverne and Shirley died at 75. Any thoughts about her? No, I mean, look, uh, you know, I guess she will always be known for Laverne and Shirley. There's just no way, no way well, around it. Even Penny Marshall, who was her co-star on that show. And, and became, a, a major director of blockbuster movies, still known for Laverne and Shirley. Correct. So, you know. Well, this so is fun. They, they, I, all I remember is Tuesdays on ABC. You had Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Three's Company, and then different shows on 930 like Soap or Taxi. But it was just a blockbuster night of television. Uh, not very good television, but by God, it was popular. <laughs> that is true. And I watched. I watched as a kid, but they they began by being on a one-off episode of Happy Days. Laverne and Shirley were double dating the Fonz and Richie. That was it. But it was so popping, they just clicked, and it was just so instantly whoa that they made it a spinoff, and it became the number one show in the country in its third season. And in real life, Cindy Williams met Penny Marshall on a double date, <laughs> just like here. They went to a Liza Minnelli concert, and Little Richard was the opening act. And when they went backstage, he blessed the two women and said something good would happen to them. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) and Henry Winkler said, Cindy has been my friend and professional colleague since I met her on the set of Happy Days in 1975. Not once have I ever been in her presence when she wasn't graceful, gracious, thoughtful, and kind. That's that's pretty nice. (laughs) And who else died this week? Melinda Dillon, and uh, she is probably best known as the mom of the little boy who was abducted early in, in the Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, and I guess and she, what, she, she got an Oscar befriended. nomination. Yeah. She got an Oscar nomination for that role. Uh, uh, she was 83 when she died. I thought, oh, yeah, that's, oh, that's nice. You know, she died. And then I looked at her career. She has a really interesting career. Everybody mentioned she played the mom in Close Encounters. She was also, of course, the mom in A Christmas Story. Warning Ralph, you'll shoot your eye out and dealing with her husband's eccentric taste in lamps. Uh, but when you look into it, I thought, well, that was it, right? But no, she began at Second City Improv and then she was a Tony nominee for the original Broadway production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf alongside Uta Hagen. Listen to this stuff. She played the girlfriend of Sylvester Stallone in Fist. She was the wife of David Carradine in Slapshot, the lesbian wife of a hockey player. She was a folk singer in Bound for Glory. 
Director Hal Ashby recommended her to Spielberg for Close Encounters. She was the mom in Harry and the Hendersons, which was a hit. In The Prince of Tides, she was the suicidal sister of Nick Nolte. Uh, she played a key role in Absence of Malice with Sally Field and Paul Newman. That was her second Oscar nomination. She was a hot mess in that movie and was a really crucial role, and she was really good at it. And in Magnolia, the Paul Thomas Anderson film, she was the wife of her cheating spouse and quiz show host, Philip Baker Hall. She did not get a ton of attention, but over the decades, I mean, Philip, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, Barbara Streisand, uh, Steven, these people could work with anyone they wanted, and they chose to work with her, and I think that's pretty telling. And over the decades, she delivered some really, really good performances. It's a really interesting, smart career. Uh, Virginia Woolf was kind of a mess, though. She left after nine intense months and went right into a mental hospital. She said in an interview with the New York Times in 76, I was in Virginia Woolf and I just went crazy. It was really that simple. <laughs> I mean, it was just an overwhelming experience. She did matinees and evenings and was just, you know, and the pressure of sudden fame, it really got to her. But thank God she got the help she needed, turned her life around and went back on to have tremendous film success. She would have been in the film version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but she wasn't well. And that's why she wasn't in it. And of course, Sandy Denny won the Oscar for her performance in the same role that she played in that original Broadway show. So a really interesting career. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, she was in Christmas Story and Close Encounters. Uh, but that Close Encounters role is really important. You know, she's with Richard Dreyfus. He has abandoned his family and seemingly had a mental breakdown. She has lost her child. At the end of a movie, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, we see one family reunite and another one split apart forever. And their relationship to know they're not crazy, to know that it's not a sexual relationship. He's not leaving his family for her or anything like that. And there's no chance of it being sexual. It's not that kind of friendship that's instantly transmitted to, between both of them. You know that. You don't ever think about that. And that's because of their performances and how good they are and what they were focused on in those roles, you know, trying to figure out what was going on to them. What are these messages they're getting? Where has my son gone? And it's a really tricky role and good for the Oscar voters to give her an Oscar nomination because she usually gets it. Well, and we aren't the kind of podcast that normally gets nominated for things, but apparently uh, <laughs> you never know. You never know. So you should tune in next week to find out if we are, uh, you know, maybe next week's episode is going to be V1 that everybody wants to nominate for something, anything. I don't know what it would be. I don't know what we could be nominated for. But but if we were, you know, you'd want to hear that and you'd want to subscribe to us in iTunes, the Google Podcast Store, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free is where you can find our show. And in any one of those podcast aggregators that allows you to do so, please do rate and review the show. It does help us out when you do that. That information can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, as well as those ways to contact us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter, where our handle is at showbizsandbox or on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox, where you can like our page. Uh, again, all of that information is on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. They can be found on their own website, whoismgmt.com. Michael Gilt has a website, and every week it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? This week it's burnwoodtonight.blogspot.com. Which, of course, is Sound Nunziato's 
uh, music blog. So that's right. Definitely check that out. Uh, you know what? And if you're looking for any of Michael Giltz's coverage of the entertainment industry, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of his work is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. Oh, 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 o